and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King, and I'm here with the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. The thing you need to know is when Matt cuts this show together after we record it, he has to listen to about 30 seconds of coughing and throat clearing before the show actually starts. Yeah, it's like Tuvan throat singing. I've come to find it uh, soothing in a way. Also joining us is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Glenn and I just kind of stacked hands behind the scenes to say, instead of saying the word testing, we'll just hock up a lung every time we do the show for eight years running. Yeah. Yeah, which for the first seven years or so was not all that disturbing. But I'm sure like most people, now I have a fairly like flinchy, almost uh, like I'm being punched reaction when people cough near me. (laughs) So it's taken on a whole new meaning here in uh, 2021. But speaking of of new and brave horizons here in 2021, I'm forced to declare a feature film emergency. A cinematic emergency. So as many of you may be aware, uh, the gentleman who just left the White House, I can't remember his name, but... Um, mm. the, the other one, because there's the new guy and this was the old guy. So the old guy had been in a couple of feature films because he wow. owned some places where people wanted to shoot movies. And in order to do that, they had to let him be in the movie. Much like a small child. If you want a favor from them, you have to give them some attention in exchange. But one of them is the cinematic classic, uh, criterion collection. I'm sure multiple Academy award winner. I assume I can't be bothered to check home alone Two: lost in New York. Uh, in which this this gentleman appears and he's apparently again i don't i don't really keep up with the news but apparently not a very popular gentleman Mm, Um, people not thrilled to the point where people there's been some some scuttlebutt online including from one macaulay culkin film uh star of home alone 2 lost in the city i'm going to insist on uh saying the subtitle every time just because i think it's funny um that this gentleman be digitally removed from the film and replaced with a less offensive persona now, we have a long-running history of trying to, uh, on this show, trying to give some tips to what we might consider the uh, a struggling, nascent American Christian film uh, you know, industry. We've, we've tried to offer some helpful, uh, you know, positive insight. And one of the things I think we can now do is maybe we can digitally alter these movies in some ways to make them less horrible. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah, that's a great idea. So we could, uh, I think, you know, obviously, you, you could replace an actor with, uh, you know, someone, I shudder to say better, because, you know, art is subjective, but, you know, better. Certainly a more sure. interesting performance and <laughs> and slide them in there. Like, you know, I'm picturing, and I want to see where you fellas want to take this, but I'm picturing the Kirk Cameron, uh, there's no pizza because you don't respect me speech from uh, Fireproof. But delivered by Liam Neeson in like a oh, very yeah. gravelly, intimidating kind of way. Yes, yes. What would happen if you just replaced one of their sweaters with a sweater that belonged to a better actor? Oh, yeah. Now that's interesting. Have Have any of you gentlemen uh, watched the the show The Shit's Creek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And popular show, and one of the characters, of course, is is known for for wearing very fashion forward clothing. 
you know, very, right. uh, very artistic taste in clothing. I've always found Eugene Levy to be a fashion icon for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying we replace all of the boring sweaters in the Christian movies with the sweaters that the David character on Schitt's Creek wears. I think this would be a delight for the whole family. A lot more gold, a lot more shiny. Yeah. I like that a lot. Could the sweater somehow be sentient and alive and have its own dialogue? Well, I insist on it now. We kind of replaced Kurt Cameron's entire performance with kind of a a Muppet sweater. Yeah. (laughs) That's voice, And it should be voiced by Lewis Black, by the way. Yes. Sure. I honestly would love to see Kurt Cameron's character in that movie replaced with Jonathan Van Ness, yeah, and yes. just like, like, honey, you're serving me frustrated. Yes, I think right. that would really, you know, I think it would really change the tone of the movie in a positive direction. Okay, I mean, Jonathan is a JVN is a guy that makes everybody feel good about themselves. I think we would really just take a giant left turn in a great direction. <laughs> I, I, I I love it. Go ahead, Chris. I just want to suggest the movie Fireproof, where all the characters are replaced by Sir Nicolas Cage. Yes. Okay. He he just does all of them. That would be true art in my mind. Without like changing costumes or anything, because it's still low budget and Nick Cage doesn't care that much. It's just him being like, okay, I'm the wife now. I'm sad about stuff. Okay, I'm the dad now. You need to do better. I I I just heard this today that that uh, the the artist Yusuf, also known as Cat Stevens, recently re-recorded his classic 1970 song "Father and Son" uh, for his like the 50th anniversary of this album. And what he did was he found a performance of his in from 1970, and he used that to to be the vocal for the son part. And then he as a as a he recorded the father part again in 2020 to be like the, you know, him himself 50 years older. So he sang across from himself across 50 years of divide. So what I'm saying is we take uh, different moments of actual Nick Cage dialogue mm. across his entire acting career and we splice them into the movie at for every age character in the movie, just yeah. a different aged Nick Cage. For every single character, I just think that would be an amazing digital feat. I I just I want the Superman Nick Cage from the failed Tim Burton project to just be in there somewhere. I don't care who he plays. Yeah. I just want him in with the long black hair in the weird suit. Well, one other thing I, I would pitch if we wanted to, if we're getting a bit uh, avant garde here, which I love, I think it's great. You know, you could do kind of an outsider art thing where we put one really good actor. In one of these movies, but we don't tell them what the movie is beforehand. And it's just kind of, you know, it's more of a a prank show thing where we just watch them realize the words (laughs) they're going to have to say for money. I can't, I'll never remember who the actor is, but I I recently saw a clip of Steve, I think it was Stephen Fry telling a story about some famous August, you know, uh, Shakespearean actor who was doing some awful play somewhere and it's in the middle of it. And he just steps to the front of the stage and says, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. Is there a doctor in the house? And someone in the front row says, I'm a doctor. And he just goes, doctor, isn't this a terrible play? Wow. <laughs> I just want to see how close can we get, you know, someone who, you know, played Coriolanus to much acclaim in Stratford-upon-Avon. How much Kirk Cameron dialogue can they say before they break on film? Just Bill Nye. Yeah. Mark Rylance. 
Yeah, just and there's the camera is just slowly zooming in on their face <laughs> yeah. and the despair that's just coming over them. And yeah. I think I, I've never said this before, but I mean, I would even be willing to see someone as terrible as Keanu Reeves more than I would want to see Kirk Whoa. Cameron. Okay, let mm. me let me pitch this. One, that was an attack aimed at one single listener of this show. <laughs> <laughs> who Lee has a very long running beef with about counters being a good actor or not. So that was just letting you people in on it, but give me uh God's not dead. The first one, but replace the kid with John wick, Keanu Reeves. Oh, and yeah. he reaps a horrible vengeance on professor Hercules. Yes. Yeah. Wow, dude. Yes. That. Like there's that weird scene in that, in the part of that movie we watched where like the professor, like, grabs the kid by the lapels and slams him against the wall. Cause that's a thing that happens in college in real life. And then Keanu Reeves just pulls out dualies and takes him down. Yeah. Just, just goes full John <laughs> Woo at that moment. Well, yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot of these movies that, that kind of, you know, f- feature sort of B and C list actors. But, you know, I, I think just, the impact of uh, just deleting them out and having a really, really amazingly talented person who just can't fully make their talent, make this movie any good at all. That to me, that would really be amazing. Yeah. I like the idea of, of Mark Rylance just talking to the amateur director of, the the uh, the fireproof thing and being like, so what's pizza metaphor for? What are we? <laughs> yeah. what, what's part of the human condition? And be like, no, it's literally it'll be Chick Fil A later. It's it's literally the chicken sandwich is the turning point of this movie. Well, gentlemen, here's here's my dream for for all this technology and the replacement is fireproof exactly as it is, uh, same same actors and actresses, except that the wife character is now voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, and Yikes. um. <laughs> to to, to totally. demonstrate the raw power of this, I've pulled up some quotes from the the character of Catherine Holt, and oh, I, yes. I just I just like to try them out if I may. Please, please. Yes. Oh gosh, Gilbert feel free Jed. to explore the space, Jed. <laughs> Something has changed in you, Caleb, and I want what happened to you to happen to me. <laughs> Is it too late to ask you to grow old with me? Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> what, what my vision for this is that it is the same performance by the same woman for all but like five lines, which are ADR'd by Gilbert Godfrey at peak volume. And no one knows when they're gonna come. <laughs> but now but now I just want now I just want like Larry David and George Costanza, just yes. Jason Alexander is George the yeah. whole thing, just like yes. or just Palpatine Jed just reading the whole show. If I haven't told you that you are a good man, (laughs) you are! And if I haven't told you that I've forgiven you, I have. (laughs) That could be prequels dialogue right there. That's the level we're at. Well, what's crazy is both of those examples were more enjoyable than the actual movie. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there has to be a uh, one thing that Christian cinema, as we've experienced it, which is to say, like the three movies we've watched ten minutes of, uh, has, has is doesn't really understand 
if you're not going to be good, you have to be so bad you're entertaining. Yeah. And that's why I would pitch, um, I, you know, cause we could do the digital thing, but then there's also the idea of, you know, art persists forever and the idea of reinterpretation. And that's right. I'm talking about John Waters presents fireproof. Mm, <laughs> wow. Someone who knows that restraint is not going to make this project any better. Let's just go for it. <laughs> and with uh, Mrs. Kirk Cameron, as played by Gilbert Godfrey, ringing in your ears, we will declare emergency off. That was incredible. Oh, of course, we. Uh, there's no good transition from Gilbert Godfrey into Bridgebox. It can't be done. We ran the numbers. You just can't do it smoothly, so we're just going to do it in that way. You can have remissionusa.com slash Bridgebox to sign up for Bridgebox only dollars a month. Get a lot of good stuff for yourselves in your inbox at the beginning of every single month. Songs, sermons, Bible studies, and more. You can also join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time Woo! on Facebook.com slash Bridge Chicago for The Bridge Live. Come sing with us, hear some sermons, get encouraged, and join us. We're having a lot of fun in the chat. If you cannot join us live in your local time zone, every single episode is archived over Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm struggling to maintain progress toward my goals. I know my willpower isn't enough, and I know God can help me with perseverance towards my goals. I don't know how this is supposed to work, though. How does God want to be involved when it comes to the goals I have? And a, a very, very good question. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question. Really glad that you wrote in. You know, I think one of the key problems that we may run into with this is I think that we may have a very skewed vision of what it looks like to be goal-oriented. Because I think that we have only really seen portrayed before us one very narrow version of that. Um, we have seen type A people who are super driven and super focused, and they're going to make a million dollars by the time they're 30, no matter what. And if you're not that kind of person, uh, it's easy to feel like, well, I, I'm not sure that being goal oriented is for me. Um, you know, it's really, I think, easy to kind of divide people into you know, almost two classes, you know, super, super goal oriented people. And the rest of us that are generally struggling to put our pants on without falling over. I think if we want to move forward on this, we need to begin to move away from that vision because there are a lot of ways to have goals. There are a lot of ways to be goal oriented, and there are a lot of ways to get in touch with our own goals. But we need to give ourselves permission to have and pursue goals in a way that actually works for us, that is, it's actually resonant for us. And, and I think that begins by acknowledging that chill people can have and achieve goals and um, uh, normal people can have and achieve goals and people who are not constantly posting about their goals on Facebook can have <laughs> and achieve goals. And, the the thing that I want to encourage you on, one thing to, to look at is that for a lot of the super duper type A people that we're used to thinking of when we think of being goal oriented, 
you know, they, they talk about, you have this, this burning passion deep within me. And it's just, I wake up every day and the only thing I want to do is X, Y, Z. And I want to encourage you that for a lot of people getting in touch with the things that you care about is a much more subtle process than that. Mm. Um, it's, it's a much more, uh, low key process than that. And if you're not sure where to begin on that, one thing that I think is worth looking at is just beginning to keep a journal. It doesn't need to be long. You can spend five minutes a day on it, but just kind of jot down the stuff that stands out from the day that you have had the, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And when you go back, maybe three or four weeks later, read through that journal. It, it probably won't take you very long because the, the point is not to, you know, write stuff that they will eventually put in a, in a war movie read by a voice actor. It's just kind of keeping a record of how your day went. The thing that you want to look at is, what are the big trends that emerge? What are the things that give you joy that, that keep coming up? What are the things that are kind of a pain in the butt that keep coming up? I think what you'll find is in either case, those begin to suggest goals that you may have, things that you may care about. You know, if you read back through that journal and you discover again and again, man, I really hate my job and I really just don't like the kind of work I do. Well, that may suggest a goal of, looking towards and working towards finding new employment. There's a lot of ways for that to, to go, but learning to tune in to the kind of person that you are and not and the kind of desires you have and the way that you experience desires is going to help you a lot in, in setting goals and achieving goals. But it's also going to help you, I think, to have a lot more peace and acceptance of yourself as a person overall. And that in and of itself is a good goal worth having. Absolutely right. I think that's an excellent place to start off with this conversation and Lee, where would we take this next? I think Jed is absolutely right about some preconceived notions we come into this with. And I, I think one of those may have to do with what letting God be part of your goal setting would look like. Cause it's not just going to come out of the sky. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I love where, where Jed's starting on this. And I think one of the things that we have to do for, for a lot of Christians, especially anybody that grew up in a kind of, Christian situation like I did is to um, do some specific work around recentering your idea of how God feels about your goals. Um, I First of all, I think this is a really, really cool question. And I do think that God does want a seat at the table uh, when you're kind of deciding about the direction of your life and your goals and all that kind of stuff. And um but I think a really cool thought experiment for you is to think about, like, how does God feel about you having goals? Um, how, like, what's his emotional state? Um, like, if you think, uh, and and I'm just going to speak for myself, and maybe you find some uh, some resonance with this as well, but I know for me, there's a, a really strong tendency to think, that if I plan something really good for myself, that God would in some way be against that. That, mm. that God's way for me would be stringent. Uh, it, would be, it would be difficult. It would be really trying and challenging. And um, it, that, that God, my, my assumption would be that God would be hard on me. Um, that, that God would make it tough. He would add extra reps <laughs> at the end of the workout. Um, um, when I when I was a high school kid and played football, we would get to the like they had a whiteboard in the weight room with all the workouts on it, 
and you would get to the end of the workout, and then the coaches would blow the whistle and say, okay, overtime. And then they would give you more reps. And it's like, that would be my assumption of like what God would be like. So here, here's, a, here's a cool thought experiment to try. When you think about what your goals are, imagine your life um, where you reach those goals. Everything is as amazing as it could be. You have all the things that you want. And imagine God high-fiving every bit of that. Like, that God would celebrate you. That God would be proud of you. That God would be excited about you having a life of fulfillment and fun. Now, some of you are going, yeah, that makes sense. But some of the people listening to the words that I'm saying right now, you can't even imagine a situation like that because that's so bizarre that God would look at your life and say like, I am high-fiving you over the fun and the fulfillment of you getting all the stuff and I'm so proud of you and you're amazing and I love watching you go and watching you live your life. Um, but here's the thing is a lot of us have, you know, kind of been lied to about what God's personality is like, um, about what God's heart is towards you. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. What if God's perspective towards you as it, as it pertains to your goals and as it pertains to your life is I want you to have it all and then some. And understand, that doesn't mean like have all the money and have no challenges or anything like that. But like to have the things that you're working towards, that God would be for you, that God would want to figure out a way not only to meet your goals, but to celebrate the achievement of your goals. Like if we can change the way that we perceive God's attitude towards you, I think that we would be a lot less reluctant to invite him into the process, if that makes sense. I think the Lord wants to be included in the decision-making. I think that he wants to be included in the day-to-day. I think he wants to be included in the strategy, in the celebration of goal achievement. I think he wants to be friends. And I think the sooner that we realize that he's for us, that he digs us, that he wants us to have a a, a life that's full and that is rewarding and all of that kind of stuff, the sooner we're going to start including him in things. And I think that relationship is going to pan out and be more productive. But it has to start with us realizing God is actually not interested in being hard on me because he thinks he's that kind of coach or he's that kind of teacher or he's that kind of guy. Um, He actually likes me a lot. He likes you a lot. He wants your fullness. He wants your, he wants you to have fun. The, The beginning of his manifesto for what his kingdom would be like is happy are the, and then he goes on to describe what happy people are like. He wants your fulfillment. He wants your fullness. He wants you to have an abundant life. And we start to see him like that, then we are going to feel more inclined to include him on in the process. I think it's an excellent place to take that. There's a lot of great stuff in there. And Glenn, I really like what Lee's talking about there about a redefining and re kind of uh, changing our perspective on some things. I think that's going to pay us a lot of dividends when we look at our goals, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. I, I, 
Yeah, you're asking uh, how does God want to be involved? Uh, he actually wants to be in charge. That's that's the thing. Is yeah. uh, you know we 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 resist that. I, I resist it. I'll put it on myself. There, there's a a sense I think inside of all of us that we we want to kind of call our own shots. We want to, you know, it, it, if you told me I had to submit to let someone else set all the goals for my life. I would think of that as negative and oppressive, and I would want to rebel against that and so forth. I, I, I wouldn't want that to be the reality of my life. Uh, but the, the alternative to that, of course, is leaving it up to you. And, you know, uh, who says you know how to set better goals? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you feel as though you do. I feel as though I do. We have to recognize at some point it's very tough to split the difference, I guess, is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. In other words, if you say, well, I'm going to come up with all my own goals, many of which will be, as Lee is pointing out, sort of wrong-headed and overly harsh, and I'm going to judge how I'm doing on those goals I set for myself, overly harsh, and then I'm going to decide that Jesus is overly harshly judging me also on the goal that I came up with and I didn't ask him anything about, you know, you know, you're just creating a lot of negativity and just signing his name at the bottom of that. And uh, that's not, you know, that, that you shouldn't fight for the freedom to get to a place where that's the, the, the result. Uh, so you know the the part that he plays in in the goals of your life is ought to be him being in charge which unfortunately starts with him defining what goals we need to be pursuing uh and uh so a lot of the goals that you have in mind may not really come up uh they might not be you know high on the list they might not be on the list at all uh i think the the trade-off on that is they're bound to be more positive things. Again, as, as Lee and, and Jed were pointing out, uh, things that involve more, you know, being free from guilt and uh, free from harsh self-judgment and all those kind of things. But the only way to get there is to let him be the one that's calling those shots and setting the agenda and deciding what we need to do and when do we need to do it? How do we need to do it? And how do we need to respond when we inevitably have, either failures or just, you know, we run aground on things. Uh, And that brings us to the idea of progress. And I think God will want to redefine progress in your life. Mm. And he might want to redefine that fairly radically. Uh, I think we have a tendency to um, think of progress as being related to achievement. And that ain't it, dude. That's... uh, People with no character and and no real uh, admirable qualities achieve things all the time, and that's not any real form of progress in terms of becoming a better person, uh, having a more fulfilled life, uh, being part of making the world a better place to live in, having a sense of purpose, any of those things. Uh, progress is often, you know, I think we're impatient when progress isn't what we are looking for. Yeah. And it's important that we interrogate what are we looking for and how are we setting that? I, you know, I deal with, with people all the time that they're, 
you know, it's not that they want success so much as they want the trappings of success. Mm. Uh, they want, you know, I, I didn't just want this job. I wanted the corner office. You know, I, I wanted to drive the nicer car because that would indicate to me that I've moved up to another level here. And um, that's that becomes a, a very ugly way to live your life. Uh, you end up kind of being stuck in a lot of situations where you're trying to live into these really ugly, unfair expectations you're putting on yourself. Uh, and and I get you. You mentioned also perseverance towards your goals, which is awesome, which is amazing, which is good. Uh, it's a it's a godly virtue. It's a thing that God wants to give us. But uh, based on what I'm telling you here, here's another virtue that God wants to give you, and that's wisdom of what what do we need to be pursuing and how we need to be pursuing it. Here's another godly virtue that you need is patience. Uh, that uh, uh, progress can be slow. And uh, goals can, you know, sometimes the longer it takes for us to meet those goals, the more thorough the learning and growing experience is off of that. Uh, if we're patient, we can handle that. Uh, and as we were talking about re- recently on other questions, humility, I think, is very, mm-hmm. very important. Uh, a humble person ends up being in much less of a hurry. They they tend to judge themselves a whole lot less. Uh, on you know not having progress or trappings or anything else, a humble person's already got that victory. They've already they already know who they are. Uh, they're just trying to uh, listen to the Lord and do what He says. And I think you'll be in a much happier and healthier place, and you'll you'll be in a much much more godly place as well. That's Amen. all great stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question, which came in anonymously and says. I always thought of myself as keeping politics and my faith separate, but it seems like faith and politics have gotten very intertwined, whether I like it or not. How do I deal with my faith in terms of my politics and how they interact in a healthy way? And a great but exhausting question. It can be both, and it is. Uh, so we're, but we're super glad you read it in. And Lee, where would we start off? I, I definitely want to start off by uh, lobbying for the fact that every now and then, on this show, our uh, our producer and host joins in and throws in a response, and I hope he does on this question. So I just want to lobby for that. I've got politics. Uh, Who says I don't? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, here's here's what I want to say on on this. Um, I, I definitely want to uh, pass this pass this mic around, but I, I want to say this for most people. Uh, probably who listen to this show, most most folks who have been raised in in a Christian environment in Christian churches, you're going to have to start here. It's gonna it's gonna take courage, it's gonna take boldness, but you're gonna have to start here. You're gonna have to start by looking in the mirror and saying, "I have been lied to my entire life." People have told me untrue things my entire life about politics, about Jesus, about church, about people who are different from me, I've been lied to because people who had a microphone wanted to hold power. And I'm going to have to tear all of that down, and I'm going to have to find out for myself 
what did Jesus actually value? What did he actually care about? What did he actually want people that follow him to do? If you can do those two things, if you can start by realizing and confronting the fact that you've been lied to and and then move on to discovering for yourself what did Jesus actually care about and want his followers to do and care about, then what you're going to find is there is a political space for people who love Jesus where you can do some really important and really cool stuff, some really cool stuff to be fired up about and to get your hands in. Um, One of my, I, I have like, <laughs> uh, at the beginning of the show, Matt plugged there, um, the, 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 uh, the bridge live cast that comes out every Tuesday night and you can watch the videos. Uh, you can, you can time shift and watch those if you can't join live on Tuesday night which I often do on a run or something like that. One of my favorite uh, pastors or speakers that they, that they get every now and then is a dude who's not from America named Jeremy, who works with the homeless in Chicago. Just one of, I, I have like a, 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 a fandom from afar for this brother. And what's so cool is when you have a, a dude like that, it's so obvious that this is a guy who's like fearlessly following Jesus, does not care what anybody else thinks about what he's doing or what he thinks about anything. He's just fearlessly following Jesus into what Jesus wants him to do. This is what this is the kind of stuff that Jesus wants, cares about, values. And for for a person who rejects courageously everything that they've been lied to about as far as politics is concerned, and then discovers for themselves, what does Jesus actually care about, value, and want me to get involved in, then all of a sudden you find a huge amount of really hard, really amazing, really gratifying work that um, some of it winds up being political, some of it winds up um, being difficult, all of it winds up being really cool and really important. Um, There is a political space for people who love Jesus, but it starts with a wholesale rejection of a whole lot of us being lied to. That's an excellent point and a very, very important one. I think it's the perfect place to start off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because I think exactly what Lee is saying there is totally right. And Ted is a little bit. One of the ways that people have been lied to is exactly what our friend in the question says. You know, I was raised with the idea that you keep your politics and your faith separate because politics is icky. But as Lee's pointing out, you were probably told that by people who also had very strong political opinions that they tried to bring to church, but they just tried not to call that politics yeah, because it was their thing. So we may have to do some, some term setting here, right? Absolutely right. I, you, there's no question separation of church and state is one of the all-time kickbutt ideas and needs <laughs> to be constantly revisited. Um, it's also true that... Um, that my faith informs the way that I vote for things and so forth. So um, right. I, I, I think that's the right thing. Uh, no question about it. Um, I think we need to actually ask God uh, every now and then just check in, see if I'm on the right page with that. Uh, that kind of relates to what we we're talking about. In the last question of letting him, him call the shots and stuff. But, you know, ultimately 
here's the thing is we can't serve two masters. That's the idea here that, um, essentially I'm going to give you a $10 word. I think we've used on the podcast before, but, uh, it, the $10 word is syncretization. That when you syncretize, um, uh, two things together, you have Christianity and politics. It could be Christianity and business. It could be Christianity and what anything, you name it. When you syncretize Christianity with something else, the first thing that goes out the window is Jesus. That's basically 100% of the time. So that's why we don't do that. That's why we say, you know, you know, I, I, you're, you're a businessman and you're a Christian and you want to give me Christian business principles. And that's real nifty, but just give me the, the, the business stuff. Cause you're a business guy. Stay in your lane. Let, let me, let my preacher tell me about Jesus. And, but for whatever reason, Christians tend to like to lump everything together. I want a Christian viewpoint and everything. And that gets us in a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble. Let me tell you a couple of quick, concrete things that kind of give you a sense of my perspective on this. Because uh, for me, I've been around a little while on, on, and seen, you know, parties change a lot in this country. And I've also been around a pretty decent number of politicians that I've gotten to know on a personal level. And I'll give you an example of one guy. Uh, this is, um, we're having our bridge service. This is a service for ex-cons. Uh, gang members, uh, uh, people coming out of addiction, that kind of stuff. And uh, we have volunteers that come and bring food and serve food for the service afterwards so the pastors can meet with those people and invite them to their church. Now, the people coming to serve food on this particular day are a member of a church that you have definitely heard of. They are famous. They are well-known. You, They are local here in Chicago. You know who they are. Uh, they've come and they brought a state senator with them. And the idea was I was supposed to be super impressed by that. <laughs> I want to tell you about this guy. Turns out after, after that, he and I actually became buddies, which is, which is nice. That shows his humility. Cause you know, it was a pretty hard snubbing that I gave him. Uh, he started going to, to jail houses and volunteering. Cause that's, that's, these were sort of jail volunteers and that's why they were coming to the bridge. And he was so moved and changed by that experience that he uh, went to the people in his party and said, we have to do things different. This is, this is wrong. And they completely snubbed him on that. And he was so offended by that. He actually changed political parties. Wow. I mean, you had to think about the character the, and the immediately there were protests against him and all this kind of stuff. And he didn't care. And he stuck by his guns. It's an amazing thing. I, I can't think of an example of more integrity being shown by any other politician these days. And a wonderful person, if he came to the bridge tomorrow, he'd be mixing punch, even with all of that, <laughs> because this isn't about power. It's not about prestige. That's what people are looking for when they get into politics. And uh, this is a thing. If you want power, if you want prestige, as, as Lee was pointing out, you know, our friend Jeremy does work with homeless people. He has more power and say-so and, and more respect and more prestige than anybody that we know. I mean, we look up to him, and we do a lot of scary stuff. Uh, the, if you look at what that bridge service does, here's, it, it costs about $40,000 a year to incarcerate an, an individual here in Chicago. 
if you look at people who are in uh, the number of people are at the bridge uh, in a calendar year, we turn over about 500 people, mm. uh, 500 new visitors every year. If we keep half of them out of jail for just one year, we save the county $10 million. Okay, now? now? I need you to understand something about that. Cook County, which is the county that incorporates uh, the city of Chicago, has never done a single flipping thing to help us, to encourage us, to stand by mm. us. They haven't said the words thank and you in that order, ever. <laughs> I have already done all I'm ever going to do for the politicians of this county to make them look good and to save them money. And it hasn't bought me an ounce of influence politically. And I don't want it. And I'm not criticizing them for not giving it to me. I already have the power and prestige. I already have the the respect of my peers and the respect of the people on my mission field. That's all that I need. That's all that you need. If you want to really make a difference, as Lee was saying and I'm sure uh, Jed's going to say, care for the poor, care for people who are at the bottom of life. Right. You will find that respect. All great stuff there. A lot of excellent stuff going on in that answer. And Jed, I'd love to get you to to close this out here. Um, one of the phrases that has been coming up a lot and stuff I see was uh, Christian people engaging politics. And it's, it's an old, old idea, but I think it makes sense as, as people look more at the political world they look at is the idea of a document is a moral, a budget is a moral document. Yeah. And what people mean when they say that is things that are political, if they do nothing else, they inform and reveal how we prioritize things. Yeah. And just as part of that, that your faith is going to be a part of what you find important, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, What I would want to ask you going right along with that idea is what is of ultimate importance to you? Do you, do you know what you value? In other words, we, we talk about you got to have values, but do you know what you value? Do you know what is ultimately really important to you, what you're not willing to, to see compromised on? That, that's step one, which is super important, and it's okay to say no to that. If the answer to that is no, I think it would be really good to, to work on getting in touch with that. The next step is, are you working to get in touch and stay in touch with what you value and to keep that at the forefront of your mind and your life. And here's why people are happy to define new priorities for you. Mm. That's actually the bulk of what certainly political advertising is, is people wanting to define new priorities for you. And if you don't know what is of ultimate importance to you, and if you're not working to keep it at the forefront of, of your mind and of your life, you will probably find that other people are defining new priorities for you. There is another old phrase that is actually really true, which encapsulates this pretty well, which says, um, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't know what you believe and you're not prepared to stand by it, even when there's a cost to it, well, that's, um, it's going to actually make it pretty easy to, to fool you, unfortunately. So I'll give you an example for me. I'm not telling you what you should think. I'm not telling you how you should vote. I'm just telling you for me. What is of ultimate importance to me is I believe that all human beings everywhere, with no exceptions, are created in the image of God and have dignity on that basis. 
That is what is of ultimate importance to me. And so I'm not willing to vote for anything or anyone that would go against that. I'm not willing to support a budget that would go against that. I'm not willing to support a political party that would go against that. I believe that all human beings everywhere, no exceptions, are created in the image of God and have dignity on that basis. And I have to work to keep that at the forefront of my life because it is easy, really, really easy for people to say, yeah, no, dignity is good. It's great. It's fine. But we got to do this one thing. We got to get this one guy in office or this one regulation passed or this one thing squared away, and then we'll deal with the dignity stuff. Yeah. I don't I don't think that actually works. I, I think that we have to to learn to keep first things first. And uh, my read, certainly, of the Bible is that uh, Jesus is clear about um, things that need to be kept first and then other things coming after that. But I think, I'm guessing that when you look at stuff and an in, in intersection of faith and politics that you don't like and don't feel good about and don't want to be a part of, I think what you're seeing is people where their their core values really have over time been co-opted by other people defining their priorities for them. And it's it's really, really easy to do that. So the thing about living a life that's defined by service is, A, it's actually what God wants you to do. Uh, B, I think you will have a much more satisfied and fulfilled life if you if you live that way. But C, and this is really important, it's going to make it massively easier to stay connected with your core values and stay connected with the things that are of ultimate importance to you. If you're never interacting with folks who um, – well, we'll put it this way. If you never interact with people who are immigrants, it's going to make it a lot easier uh, for you to say, well, you know, I mean, we, the Bible talks about being nice to immigrants, but yeah, golly gee, and besides and so forth, and, you know, right. you know national defense. But if you actually interact with immigrants, then these are people now. These are people creating yep. the image of God. These are people who right. possess dignity. Uh, for, for me, um, the idea of me ever, ever, ever supporting something that could be described as tough on crime is a non-starter and an impossibility because I know personally the people who are affected by these may be well-intentioned, but in, in my opinion, incredibly misguided uh, legal approaches. So serving people, it's the triple threat, man. It Again, it's what God wants you to do. It will lead to a more fulfilled life and a deeper walk, but it also helps you stay connected to your core values in a way that is very hard to do otherwise and leaves it easy for other people to co-opt the things you care about. That is another fantastic answer on this question. And I will uh, throw my two cents in. I was, I was actually describing to a friend of mine recently who was a a little bit younger than me that, and this seems crazy in the year of our Lord, 2021, there was a time when a massive swath of adults in this country would openly say the phrase, I don't really follow politics. I don't really pay attention to that. Yeah. Which I, I, I declared to this point is like standing in shorts in a blizzard and just saying, I don't really follow the weather. I don't, you know, I don't <laughs> concern myself with such things. It is um, one of the things that has happened recently has been amplified is the, the extent to which everything is political has been uh, 
ramped up. There, another old saying as we're putting them out was the idea, it used to be the idea that they would say all politics is local. And what that meant was even if a guy is running to be senator, or if he's running to be president, when he comes to, to your town, the thing you're going to ask him is, well, what are you going to do to open a factory here? What are you going to do about the schools here? And we've seen a huge flip of that due to things like social media and things like 24 hour news where people who are running for mayor in towns of, you know, 20, 30,000 people, the only thing anyone's asking them is what do you think about the president? Yeah, this is, this is, this has become kind of a, a mono culture and that leads to a kind of team think, which yes. asks you to not do the things these guys have talked about, particularly what Jed was talking about there. Um, you're not meant to support something or support someone because they have a a letter next to their name. You're meant to do it because they're doing things you believe in. Now, we here in America, we live under a two-party system. You're almost certainly going to have to pick the closest, the odds that a, a candidate or a platform or an organization would have 100% of the things you think and agree with is uh, pretty slim. But that does mean picking some things. That means picking on what you think about. And I'm thinking about the passage, you know, Jed is mentioning there from Matthew six of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. That comes a little bit after the same passage where uh, the Lord's prayer happens. And he says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a pretty good goal for things. When I picture the, the kingdom come the best we can replicate it on earth my vision of that has nothing to do with low corporate tax rates. <laughs> yeah. um, so if your pitch is, yeah, I mean, we're, we we're there's not so much the immigration. This is rough on poor people, but we really got the corporate tax rate down. So entrepreneurs could innovate or whatever. That's not selling me the idea that we would um, envision what I, when I pray to the Lord about kingdom come, uh, what does strike me is a thing where as People can get uh, medicine if they need it. Right. Where people yeah. uh, can have food. So you're always going to hit an imperfect target. But one of the big lies you've probably been told about politics is that because it's imperfect, it's not worth doing. And more justice, more dignity, more love, more positivity, all those things are worthwhile goals. And we certainly cannot get all the way to getting more of those things on earth through political means. But politics is part of the way we get more of that in the political society we live in. And that's because, you know, we've mentioned voting here. You could never vote in another election in your life and you would still interact and deal and be a political person because the policies that form the way we live in a society are all political. You have opinions on them. It's good to have opinions on them. What you want to do is let God inform those opinions and not let people and groups hem you in on the realistic or tell you that because you believe in a, you also have to believe in CDE and vote for yeah. us. Cause that is not going to get you where right. you're going. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, what does Jesus mean when he calls the disciples? You of little faith. It always seemed harsh to me. And another very, very cool question. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I, I would, uh, you know, I see what you mean that yes uh you know it's it's he's turning to people who have been following him around and saying you have very little faith um but I think maybe the part of this that offends us is the idea that we feel like we've got like a medium amount of faith 
And if you were one of the apostles, you probably had a medium high to high amount of faith. <laughs> and if they don't have, if they have very little, that means I probably hardly have any. And that's probably why it seems harsh to us. Um, and um, the 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 problem with that is, I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Uh, so <laughs> let's 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 see how palatable we can make that hard truth. Because here's the thing: um, when you look at your life, I think um, you might be tempted to say there are times when I have a lot of faith and it's really really good, and then there are times where I struggle to have faith, but on the whole, I have mostly a lot of faith. I'm, I'm a faithful person. But if the times where you feel like you have a lot of faith is when absolutely nothing is going wrong and you're taking almost no chances of any kind and you're not taking any bold steps of any kind and everything's smooth sailing and you've organized your life around smooth sailing and you say, man, I've got a lot of faith going on right now. And if you look at your life and say, the times I have struggles with faith are the rare times where something goes wrong, the rare time where I accidentally take a risk and things are looking a little hairy, uh, and the, the faith is wearing a little thin, I think what you're supposed to, to recognize is that you aren't exercising any faith at all when you're not in a challenging situation. When you are in a challenging situation, that's when faith is being put into action. And if you find that you don't have a lot of faith to handle those challenging situations, that means you don't have a lot of faith. Uh, and we might put that in a in a more gentle way and say you you don't you you don't need to have faith because you sort of organize your life around situations where you wouldn't need to have it. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I think we can all get uh, fall prey to a mentality that Jesus is looking for us to be extremely sensible and uh, extremely responsible and take no bold action and take no risks and all of that. And so I shouldn't need to have a lot of faith given that because, you know, I've, 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 put myself in a situation where I, I wouldn't have a call for it. But the reality is, I think Jesus is trying to say something kind of very different to us about all that. He's saying to his disciples, you have seen me heal the sick. You have seen me, in recent events, you have seen me make food out of nothing. Work out the math, gentlemen. I bend the nature of reality around me. This is a, a storm. We're in a boat. I get what bothers you about that, but have you not worked out? I can stop whatever from happening. I control circumstances. I'm God. This is how this works. What part of this is confusing to you? But, of course, you and I are... are on the other side of that, to where uh, the the pure, lucid reality that uh, that that Jesus is able to control all of existence, 
is not the world that we live in. We live in a world of circumstances. We live in a world of, of, of a temporal existence. If I'm in pain now, I don't want to hear that it, it definitely will end at some point in the future. I want it to end now. If I'm in peril now, I, I don't want to have faith. I want it to stop. This is how this works. And it doesn't matter how many times God comes through for me, I still look at whatever this challenging circumstance is, and I say, man, is, is it going to get fixed? Is yeah, this going to work out? That's I right. Mean, it, and if you aren't that same kind of person, I, I got to ask you to consider, are you being totally honest with yourself, <laughs> or are you getting into some denial? When, man, when I hear people say, oh, man, I just got faith. When I, I hear a lot of wishing, and I hear a lot of fronting. I hear a lot of like, okay, man, you're you're way more sanctified than I am because when things go wrong, my prayer starts with, hey, what is going on here? <laughs> Why is this not getting fixed? Right. If I'm in a boat and there's wind and waves and the Lord says, you know, where did your faith go? I would say, it blew away in the storm, dude. What? <laughs> I've seen you make food, but I haven't seen you control weather. I don't know how this works, man. I don't also, I, you know, I, I, you know, th- this is, this is how I'm thinking is I'm, I'm just dealing with what I got to deal with here. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck in my circumstances. So I think uh, part of this is recognizing that, that faith is a thing that we exercise when things are going tough, but when, when they aren't, uh, that's not when our faith is strong. That's the point where we're not using it. I think you, if you think you are in a state of being a faithful person, you might really just be looking at a lot of times when faith isn't really called for. Come on, man. That's an excellent, excellent place to start this off. A great uh, kind of uh, groundwork to start from. And Jed, I'd love to get you to to pick us up there because uh, as Glenn points out very rightly, I think we may learn something from this uh, story and about how harsh the times are not by looking at the um, the circumstance of what's going on here, because I totally understand where our question asker is coming from. It does seem a bit rushed to uh, say to people who are in imminent danger of drowning, "Hey guys, just just cool out. Don't like, yeah, yeah, don't be all weird about it." But the story does go on from there, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, so Jesus says what he says, and then he takes care of things. So. One way to read it is as a a rebuke, and then, um, you know, well, I guess I'll have to fix it the way I have to fix everything. Here's another way to read it, which, by the way, when we hear it that way, we may be hearing the voice of our disapproving parents as Uh opposed to the voice of of Jesus. Let's consider another way to, to look at this story. What if it's just a statement of fact? What if Jesus is saying, you guys actually really do struggle in the faith department? And then, notably, Jesus loved them anyway. Right. He stayed with yeah. them anyway. He calmed the storm anyway. Um, I don't think that most of us are comfortable with that because I don't think we have a model for that. I don't think that we have a model in our lives that someone could love us deeply and tell us a difficult truth about ourselves with no condemnation and no shaming. I think most of us have actually never, ever experienced that. And I want to tell you a story that's a little fun and a little funny, but 
if you have moments where someone can tell you the real truth with no condemnation and no shaming, it's oddly freeing. Let me tell you a story. So a bunch of years ago, uh, Hallie and I hadn't been married very long, and we uh, were in a season where we were so broke. And we had this terrible, terrible, terrible minivan. It was technically referred to as a grand caravan. There was nothing grand mm. about it. It was an <laughs> awful vehicle. It, it was bad. And this thing broke down constantly. It just broke down all the time. And we had, uh, I still have actually, uh, the world's greatest mechanic, a man named Walter, who is wonderful and honest and amazing. And so there was a period of like six months where I had to have that minivan into his shop like four separate times because just everything was going wrong with it. And each time, um, you know, I, I would go, you know, he, he would call me and say, okay, it's all fixed, ready to go. I would go and I would get it. And I would say, well, what's the deal? I'd say, well, here's what I fixed. He said, but just so you know, you really, it's an old vehicle. You really need to have a tune-up done on this vehicle. And I'd say, okay, but do I need that today though? He said, no, you don't need it today. I'm like, great. So I would drive off into the distance and then, you know, a, a month later it would break down again. And finally one day it broke down. It wouldn't start. There was nothing for it. I mean, this thing was dead. And so I had to have it towed to the shop. I get a call a day later, it's fixed, it's back, you know, hooray. I go to pick it up and I, I say to Walter, okay, well, wh wh what did you do? And he looks at me and with the most calm, serene, no judgment voice, he says, I did the thing I've told you you needed every time I've seen you for the last six months. <laughs> I gave it a tune-up. Mm. And here's what's great about that. Yeah. It's incredibly freeing. He's not mad. He's not looking down on me. He's yep. definitely not shaming me. This is not reproof or reproach. It's just a statement of fact. I told you several times this would need to happen, and then we reached a point where it had to happen, and I did it. That is the world in which we live. Yeah, It's actually really freeing. And the question that I want to ask you to think about is, can you accept a God who knows our faults and loves us anyway? Mm. Can you do that? Yeah. Because I think the truth is most of us have relationships in our lives where we either have friends who want to gloss over all of our imperfections, right? You know, uh, like, so if we are a person who basically has almost no faith, they say, no, no, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing good. It's, it's good. You're, you're doing, you're doing okay. Um, or we have enemies who only see the very, very worst and, and apply the worst filter to, to everything uh, about us. But I think it is a very, very rare circumstance to have a relationship with someone who sees you accurately and will reflect that and will totally love you and accept you anyway. Mm. It's actually a beautiful and freeing thing. And I want to encourage you as you read the scriptures, but particularly in your prayer life, I want to encourage you to lean into a relationship with the Lord where that goes on for you, where, where God can, can tell you how you're doing and, and, and where you're having trouble, where you are, O ye of little X, ye of little faith or joy or hope or peace, so that you can actually do something about it. We can't fix problems we won't acknowledge that we have. God doesn't want you missing out. He doesn't want you missing out on faith or hope or joy or trust or peace or any of that good stuff. But to receive it, we, we kind of have to acknowledge that we don't have it. 
The honesty is a gateway to a blessing. Jesus acknowledged there was a lack of faith, and then he did something about the situation. Yep. God wants to do something about your situation, too. Honesty is not a curse. Honesty from God is a blessing. That is absolutely right. So much great stuff going on in there. And Lee, I'd love to get you to close this out. And I think uh, exactly the track, uh, on is a great thing to pick up there because we have a statement that is about someone having a little bit, of, only a little bit of something. And we're reading into that uh, criticism and harshness mm. where that may not be the point that's trying to be made here, right? My, my 12-year-old son is one of my favorite artists on the planet. No, no kidding. On my uh, desk right now where we're recording this, I have this watercolor painting that he did of the Mandalorian for me. Um, that's, I, I just adore it. I, just, I look at it. I love every line and every choice he made. I mean, he's just such a cool artist. He has such cool instincts. And I bought this thing that's like a, it's like a, it's like a plastic figurine of like just like a human figure where it has points of articulation at every joint in the human body. And you can move this thing and make any pose you want and, and draw like comic book, you know, different kind of comic book action poses. And so I set this up one day when I got it in the mail and I was like, Hey, let's, let's sit down with our, our sketch pads and let's draw this thing. He became frustrated instantaneously. And he said, uh, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I'm not good at this. And, and I realized um, that the frustration he was experiencing was not that he was not good at it. It was that he was new at it. And, and so that's the thing that I tried to in, uh, instill in him was I, I've been working with him on, on uh, different areas of his life, trying to instill this vocabulary. My friend, uh, Jay, you're not, you're not bad at this. You're new at this. And those are two different things. They're very different things. And I, I want to agree with Jed on this, that the honesty of Jesus here is not a, a harsh thing. This, the honesty of Jesus is uh, disclosing to us that we are on a journey. You're not bad at faith. You're new at it. Uh, the truth of the Bible is that you are an eternal creature. Um, Jesus made your soul to last forever. It, you are never going to not exist with him. Your friendship with the Christ is going to be forever. It's always going to grow more interesting, more deep, more close, more intimate. <clears throat> you are new at following him. You're new at believing his words. You're new at trusting him. You're not bad at it. You're on a journey with him. And that's what he was saying to these guys. If I could Take Glenn's key card into the Bible nerdatorium for just a second. When he said little, he said ye of little faith, he actually was nicknaming them. He called them little faiths. That was what he said. But that word little, it's a word that's also translated in the New Testament um, for a short time or uh, a small amount. And he was saying to them, it's not that you don't have faith. It's that it's not that you don't believe. It's that you don't believe for very long yet. Or you don't believe very much yet, but you're on a journey, you're on a pathway, and the more experiences you have with me, the longer you'll believe, the more you'll believe. Um, there's a moment, um, I think it's in, like, uh, it's, it's right after the transfiguration, so maybe like Matthew chapter 8, something like that, 
where Jesus comes down from the mountain with his disciples, and there's a guy with a son who uh, has has been demon-possessed. It's one of the best moments in all of the Gospels where this guy says, if you could do anything, Lord, that would be great. And Jesus says, if I could, anything is possible for those who believe. And the guy says one of the greatest statements in all the Gospels, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And just to piggyback on everything Jed said, Jesus did not go off on this guy. Like, what is wrong with you? You don't have perfect faith? Then be gone, man. I will not help you. He just heals the guy. He, he heals the kid. Jesus understands that we are on a journey of learning that the more I place my trust in Jesus, the more he comes through. Um, the more, the more I, and this goes back to a, a response that we had to an earlier question, the more I submit myself to the rule of Jesus, the more joy and fullness I experience. He understands that we're not bad at this, we're new at it. And we are going to have an eternity to learn what it means to trust him more and more. He is patient. He is not harsh about this process. He is understanding about who you are. And he wants to invite you into more and more circumstances and opportunities and situations where you can learn that trusting him is the thing that brings you more fullness. That is all excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, the reference I found for what Lee's referring to is in Mark chapter 9, and it is a great story and a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about, so we will go out on that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that totally anonymous. You can, of course, sign up for Bridgebox at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. You can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Ooh. Central Time for The Bridge Live at facebook.com slash thebridge. Chicago Taylor song this week. This is from our friends in Fire Down, their take on the hymn Before the Throne. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming this summer, the hot remake of the Hollywood classic Taken, starring Kurt Cameron as retired CIA agent Brian Mills. I have a particular set of skills, skills I've acquired over a long career. Does it make me a nightmare for people like you? If you let my daughter go, it'll be the end of it. If you don't, I'll look for you and I'll find you. And I will not give you any pizza, mister. (laughs) 